So pleased you guys are here with me this morning. We have a whole lot to get through. Charlie told me a couple months ago what I'd be preaching on. He said, I want you to preach on the 17th, and I want you to preach on the topic of what is worship. What is worship? So I was like, okay, so I have a half hour to preach on the entire purpose for human existence on planet Earth. <laughs> Great. I'll see if I can get through that. No pressure. Uh, but what was helpful is, but today we're also beginning a brand new series, When We Gather. You see that on nice artwork? I want to just take a minute and recognize Amy Miles. Is Amy, is she in the room? She's sick. Amy, if you can hear me on the recording, we love you. Thank you for your artistic gift. She is worshiping by using her gifts in this way for our church. We're going to talk more about different ways that, that we can all worship the Father, but uh, that's some of her handiwork there. So thank you, Amy. And this new series, When We Gather, is aimed at talking about when we gather here as the body on Sundays, and really when we gather like in our small groups and things like that, that's what this series is going to discuss, okay? And so that really helped me narrow this gigantic topic of what is worship into some more kind of bite-sized chunks that we can discuss, and I'll be lucky to get through that in a half hour this morning. But we'll focus on unpacking what worship looks like when we gather as the body of Christ, okay? Now, each church is a member of the body of Christ, okay? So there's, there's churches all over. We pray for those on Sunday mornings as well, and they have different ways of gathering and worshiping on Sunday mornings, and usually all that diversity is a very good thing. It's a very good thing that we have all these different ways to worship the Father. But there are also some things that are just fundamental, that is fundamental to what worship is, okay? And I would wager that the things that we're going to discuss this morning, I've thought about it a, a long time, and these things that we'll discuss, I'm going to kind of just distill it down to these are four fundamental truths that should be a part of all congregational worship if you call yourself a follower of Christ, okay? And that's what we'll discuss this morning primarily, okay? We're also going to discuss some things, just like some terminology. Uh, as a worship leader myself, I have a few pet peeves, and given that I have the microphone this morning, I'm going to address those this morning. So you have to listen to those pet peeves of terminology that we'll use when we discuss things like worship, okay? And one of those is the word music. Music. Now, as evangelical Christians, we hear a lot uh, of people using kind of some churchy phrases. Uh, some of those churchy phrases, you might include uh, words like, um, you might hear well-meaning pastors go, well, we're going to have some worship time first, and then we're going to have the message after that. Or you might hear somebody say, well, how was worship this morning? And somebody go, oh, the music was good. The music was good. And we just equate worship to music, and we use that terminology. But the reality is worship is so much more than just music. Now, music is an important part of worship, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today too. But the reality is worship is so much more of those things, and it's, 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 it's occurring all over this campus this morning. When you, when you come here this morning and you're singing, you're worshiping the Father. When you come and you're praying, you're worshiping the Father. When you are confessing, when you are repenting, when you are giving, when we are baptizing, when we are taking the Lord's Supper, basically all those ings that we do, those ings, baptizing, serving, praying, singing, those are all elements of the worship service. And those different elements 
are what's called the liturgy. Okay, we, we call it the liturgy, or kind of, if you look at it on paper, it's kind of the game plan for when we gather. That's, that's the liturgy, okay? And we're going to discuss again kind of what the four fundamental, I think, the elements of worship are. That can be true of Christian worship anywhere, okay? But before we do that, I would like to use another form of worship, and I would, I'd like to pray this morning over our message. And so would you worship with me? Bow your heads. Let's worship together. Heavenly Father, we ask that your blessing be upon this time. You are here among us. Your Holy Spirit is here. All we need to do is learn to listen and to hear from you clearly and let you speak to our hearts and and change us from the inside out. God, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning. That it wouldn't be a time where Stephen is talking, but it would be a time where your word speaks to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's start by discussing the singing thing. Okay? Because I don't know how many are in the room this morning. Like, by show of hands, how many of you just grew up in the church? You've been going to the church for as long as you can remember. Right? I'm trying to see, see through the spotlight. A lot of people. Okay, so you probably don't even remember what it's like to gather with the body of Christ and not sing, right? It just seems normal, but especially for folks like that, folks like me who kind of grew up with it, singing, it's important for us to remember that there are those in our number who maybe didn't grow up like that. And so when they come and you, inv- and you invite them to a Christian worship service, they may just intellectually be able to put two and two together and say, okay, I get the praying thing. I get the preaching thing. I expect that. Uh, that they maybe even get the giving thing and the baptizing thing. But they're like, but why do you guys sing? What's up with the singing? And I want to briefly touch on that before we get to our four kind of fundamental things. And the thing to remember about singing, if you don't know this already, and I'm not going to go in. This could be an entire sermon by itself. I'm not, so I can't go very deeply into it. But I just, I just want to expand on this a tiny bit. Singing is a godly thing. It's not a human thing first. It's a godly thing first. God invented music. Okay? And we know that. We know that because if you look back through Scripture, and if you're taking notes, if you're like that type of a person, Hannah, Bruce is going to take notes, I know for a fact, because I know how she is. But if you're a note taker, Hannah goes through several pins in every worship service. She runs out of ink. Uh, if you're a note taker, write these down. I won't, we won't go through them on the screen, but just look up uh, Job 38.7. Zephaniah 3.17. If you can't spell it, just put Z-E-P 3.17. Okay. Ezekiel 28.12-13. Too fast? You guys writing fast enough? Okay. Isaiah 44.23. Okay. And what those verses will bear out for you, Okay is first that the heavens sing long before mankind was around, the heavens were singing. Okay? They also bear out that God himself sings. God is a singer. Okay? Creation sings. The Bible talks about creation singing before mankind ever stepped foot on the planet. Creation sings a song and is still singing a song to the Father. It's just a different type of music. And the angels have been singing for millennia. Long before mankind ever stepped on the scene. So, so music is this really powerful thing. It's in the word of God. You can look it up. But I'm telling you right now, music was here 
before you and I were here. It was here before there was a here. Before there was planet Earth. It'll, it, it's with us here now, and it will be with us in eternity. So music is this really powerful thing, and it's a godly thing. So for those of you guys out there, and to be honest, this church doesn't have much of a problem with this. We're really blessed to have men who sing in this church, and they sing loud and proud. But in many churches, and you may be among this number too, it's the guys who just kind of sit there and hide behind the cup of coffee and wait for the, for the music to be over because that's when the important part of the worship service begins. And I just want you to know from my heart, look at the Word of God and see if that attitude is true, if it's a good thing, or if it's something you could maybe stand to improve in because your, your father is a singer. And not only that, it's not only a godly thing. Singing is just something that humans do. It's human nature to sing about things that are important to us. And we're going to just put a few of these up here on the screen. Soldiers sing of their king and their country when they're in battle. You watch any war movie and you'll, you'll see the soldiers marching and singing and doing things like that. They sing about their country and they sing about their king. Okay? Uh, men and women write beautiful love ballads and they sing about love gained and love lost, okay? Sometimes if you're listening to some pop stars sing, the love gain, the love lost thing, it happens really quickly in quick succession. Those things happen really, really quick, Taylor Swift. All right, so um, parents, parents sing lullabies to their children. Moving on. Parents sing t- lullabies to their children to calm them when they're scared and to remind them that their parents are there for them. It's going to be Okay. Okay. We also use music to enhance and express deep emotion. We use it to take any scenario and make it more impactful and meaningful to us. Okay. We also learn by music extremely well. That's why we, we teach our kids their ABCs even to a musical tune. It, music has the ability to bury down facts and truths way down into us. And the dangerous thing is music has the ability to bury lies way down deeply into us as well. Okay. But if you need any proof of that, like watch a scary movie sometime and just press mute and watch the scariest scene in the movie. It's not so scary. It's not so scary. My, my, um, my seven-year-old, Gowley, we were watching a, a film. Uh, it was just a couple nights ago. And she walks in the room. She's not even looking at the screen. She walks in the room and she's hearing this like kind of scary music in the background. And she turns, she goes, it sounds like something scary is going to happen. She's seven. It's universal. And you know, for all those reasons, we sing in God's church too. We sing because it's a godly thing. We sing because we're made in the image of a singer. To deny that is to deny who we are. Okay? We sing about our coming king and our future home and country when we're going through battles too. We sing of the greatest love story ever recorded about a Savior who gave his life so that we could have eternal life. We sing lullabies to one another in the church to calm our fears and remind each other, your Father's with you. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You can rest. And we sing because it is a very appropriate way to express our deep love and adoration for the Father. Psalm 89.1. Psalm 89.1 says, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever, and I will proclaim 
your faithfulness to all generations with my mouth. Psalm 105 verse 2 says, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell about his wonderful works. These aren't suggestions. Psalm 104 verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. Folks, there are over 400 references to sing in your Bible, and there are over 50 direct commands to lift your voice and sing to your heavenly Father. I could go on and on and on about this. Again, this could be a sermon in and of itself. But we should be known as a singing people. Whether we want to admit it or not, the things that really matter to us, we sing about. That's just the truth. We also sing as a way to communicate and internalize truths about who God is. I talked a little bit about that just a few minutes ago. When we stand up here and we combine the powerful medium of music and its ability to bury things down deeply into us, when the worship team is over here and they're singing truths about who their father is, sometimes singing scripture in the song itself, we are taking the powerful word of God and we're marrying it to the powerful medium of God's language of music. And it is worship. And it communicates these deep things about who God is. Colossians 3.16. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this one here. It says, let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. So look at that verse. How does the message of God dwell deeply in us? It says that one of the ways that it happens is by singing together psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude from our hearts. That's one of the ways that the Word of God can dwell richly in us. So that's singing, okay? That's your sermon on singing. But as we've already said, there's so much more to worship than simply singing, right? Whether it's preaching teaching, serving, singing, giving. Again, all those ings, the things that we're doing on Sunday morning, I believe all those things are indicative of biblical worship. And they're really underpinned by, like I said, some fundamental truths. But before I talk to you about those, those, those fundamental truths, I thought that we could all use a little bit of laughter this morning. And so I'm going to show you a couple on, on, the, on the screen here, and they're, and they're church hunting. Okay, they're, they're hunting for a new church. And, and see if you can find anything that's kind of unbiblical about the way that this couple is approaching so looking refreshing. for a church. Honestly, that last church was just way too traditional. It was yeah. too much. It was like we left there feeling convicted. Like, uh, ugh, right? Right. We're just, we're looking for more of a Tony Robbins type story. Like inspiration, like a TED Talk with a Bible verse. Yes. Oh, yes. Right? It's perfect here. We love it. It really is. We love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, you guys know a lot of contemporary pastors speak out of the Message Translation Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. Or this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. We love Tumblr, though. This is great. A lot of emojis, a lot of abbreviations. Oh, I couldn't ask for one. And how many seats in here? Oh, it is 6,000 altogether. Babe, 6,000. I got to be in this worship band. Imagine me 
up on that jumbotron mid-guitar solo. Do you know how many Instagram likes you get? Oh. oh my gosh. Basically, in terms of like worship, I think we're looking for like a Jesus culture type feel. Oh, I right. love them. Hillsong, obviously. Oh, obviously. Lead You to the Cross? Hillsong's great. Like a Bethel, minus the spontaneous yeah. stuff. Yeah. So one of my personal favorite things about this church is the service times. Okay. There's an 8.30, a 10, a 1 o'clock, a 5.30, and even a 7 o'clock service. Oh, there's nothing around like 2-ish? Yeah, for us, for what we need, 2, 2.15 is best. Yes. Uh, how many songs do they do during worship? Usually five, five and a half, depending on where the spirit leads. Oh, wow, babe, is that, is that a lot? Well, if that's too that much for you, like... they have a program here called the Worship Assist Program. Okay. So if you ever get tired during worship, an intern will come out and just hold your arms up. You just keep worshiping the King of Glory. Just like that. Wow. I love it. You can still look super spiritual. Huh? And my arms get so tired from yoga. Oh, same. I actually like this church. I think we can make it work. It was all right. I mean, it was it was good. But like, I emailed the pastor, and he didn't immediately respond. So uh, we're taking these vessels elsewhere. Oh man, I love that guy. John Christ, you can look him up, he's got really good stuff. And, and as Christians, we laugh at this and we find it humorous, but he's using a form of humor called satire. So why is satire funny to us? Anybody? Because it has truth in it. And so it's kind of like Charlie says, you know, if you can't say amen, say ouch, right? Like there's a lot of stuff in that that's actually... Sadly, when I watch a lot of his videos, I laugh, and then I go, oh, man, I'm so, I'm actually kind of brokenhearted because this is indicative of a lot of evangelical American worship right now. Like, we laugh at it, but the sad thing is how true a lot of that is, actually. And those are the things that I want to talk about a little bit this morning. And so I want to tell you just four truths from the Word of God. That's eight, sorry. Four truths. Four truths from the Word of God that I think underpin and kind of explain these are foundational to worship, okay? We're going to start with, with the first one. Biblical worship connects, it fills, and transforms us. Can we say that together? Biblical worship connects, it fills, and it transforms us, okay? Let's look at Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, okay? So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so biblical worship is both horizontal and vertical. And I want to sit down here because I want to unpack this for you. There's a whole lot in this verse. Again, this could preach a sermon by itself here, but um, it's, it's both horizontal, and what I mean by biblical worship being horizontal is worship happens between us here on Sunday mornings, okay, in our small groups, when we gather, right? And biblical worship also happens vertically when we gather, as we worship the Father, okay? And so it connects God to us. Our times of worship connecting to us, when we're here serving getting alongside each other, and, and we're, maybe it's in children's church right now. Somebody in children's church is worshiping horizontally with those kids, and they're worshiping vertically with the Father as they're teaching biblically from the Word of God to our kids. Okay, and the same thing happens in here. So it's both horizontal 
and it's vertical. And if you look at verse 18, can, can we put that section back up there, please? If you look at verse 18, where it says, but be filled. Do you see that right there? So don't do this, it says, but do this. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And if you look at that verb, we've actually taught about this verb tense before here at River Rock. And that is be being filled is the best way to, to, to translate that into the English. But be being filled with the Spirit, which helps us understand that it's not like just a one-time event. Uh, again, I can't spend much time on this, but when you are saved, the moment you surrender your heart and your life to Christ, you are then given the gift of the Holy Spirit, okay? And then as you live your life, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Paul's saying, over and over again, be filled to overflowing. I like to say we're a lot less like buckets and we're a lot more like colanders, like it, it leaks out of us because our attention and our allegiance and our affections get pulled onto the world instead of onto the Father. And so he's saying, always return and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled over and over again. Be being filled is what he's saying. And, and so what's important to note here is that this repetitive nature, watch this, guys, the repetitive nature of coming together and saying, we're not going to focus on anything else. We're going to turn our hearts, affection, and attention to the Father right now together. When that happens, and then we do that repeatedly, over and over, week after week, it fills us with the Holy Spirit afresh. Let that sink in for a minute. It fills us. It connects us, as we've already said. Then it's also transformative. Because when you allow the Holy Spirit to continually and repeatedly fill up your heart over and over again through gathered times of serving and praying and giving and singing, all those ings, it's transformative in your heart. There's a great quote here that I want to read. This comes from a wonderful book, if you want to read it, uh, called uh, You Are What You Love. And it's about the power of spiritual habit. And it says, in worship, we, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise. We are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us top down. Worship in the, is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship is not just something we do. It's something where God does something to us. Think about that. In our best intentions, we can come to worship and still make the mistake of thinking that when we come and we're giving selflessly and we are doing this and we are giving that and we are focusing and we, 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 never forget that even in those moments when you're sacrificing, when you're giving to the Lord, that he is giving more to you in that, in that moment. That he is actually active in that worship and is transforming you from the top down by his Holy Spirit. Okay? So I want to talk a little bit more about the horizontal aspect. The horizontal aspect of worship. Okay? How it helps us connect with one another. And this is really, really true, I think more often than not, in times of strife and hardship. When you're coming together as a body and you didn't even know if you could get out of bed that morning because you were so hurt or you were so full of anxiety or you were full of depression when you felt hopeless. 
If we look back at that, that section 5, 17 through 20, in verse 9, I think it's interesting. In verse 19, I'm sorry, he says, you know, don't be drunk with wine for that leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. And the first thing he says after he says, don't do this, but be filled by the Spirit, the first thing he says is not, and then speak to God. I think it's interesting that the very first thing that he says there, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to, what's it say? One another. Never forget that when you come here on Sunday mornings, <laughs> it's, not, it's not about just you and God. I'll tell you, I heard a, a sermon on this about two years ago, and it was very similar in, in its content as well about worship. Uh, and it was from a pastor who was describing that he uh, was diagnosed with cancer, and then he was coming to church as he was going through his chemo treatments and things like that, and how powerful it was to hear people around him singing in those moments when he felt weak and he felt defeated. And I never knew how personal that story was going to get for me um, because many of you don't know, this fall uh, I had a preliminary diagnosis of lymphoma cancer as well. And for about a month, though many of you didn't know it, I was coming here on Sunday morning with a lot of really deep, hurtful questions in my heart. I was wondering if I wasn't going to be around to see my five-year-old go through even just elementary school. And all those what-ifs that kind of plague your mind. And when I was here and I would come and I would be among you guys, I needed you to be here raising your hands and singing songs of faith, singing songs of hope saying, we can trust you, God. Some of you guys uh, don't know who Matt Mason is, but, but Matt, Matt Mason's one of these guys that wherever he is in the room, you know it during the singing time because you can hear Matt with his baritone voice singing out, just big, strong voice. And, and, and there were times when it was hard. And you need to remember that people are coming here fighting things every Sunday that you have no clue about. And so when you choose to sleep in and you don't come because you don't think that you need to be here, just remember that there's people here who need you to be here. They need you to lift up their arms for them, not like that video showed, but to sing songs to the Father about, we trust you, God. We love you. It's going to be okay. Somehow you'll work it out. And that means a lot. And it, it took about a month for them to get back with me uh, from the doctor and go, hey, guess what? Uh, good news. It's not what we thought it was. Sometimes you need your body to be around you. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings. What's the next line say? as some habitually do, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, remember that you're needed here on Sunday morning in ways that you may never even know. 
Because biblical worship, your second main point, is that biblical worship is consistent. Biblical worship is consistent. How many, um, how many gym rats do I have in the room? Like to go to the gym, like to work out, right? How about dental hygienists? Do you have any dental hygienists in the room? No? Okay, so we kind of know this to be true, right? What's that? I mean, how many times a week do you need to work out just to kind of stay in shape? Somebody give me a number. Three times, I think, is a, is, 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 is a good one, okay? About three times a week for about an hour, or, or maybe a half hour to an hour, all right? Three times a week. Well, let me ask even the most novice person in here who is at the gym, what if I substituted, instead of going three times a week, what if I went once a month? What if I did that? Would I be in good shape? Or what if, how many times should I brush my teeth each, each day, right? Twice a day. So what if I substituted, well, hey, what if I don't brush my teeth every day, but what if I tripled the amount of annual cleanings I'm supposed to have, and what if I had six professional cleanings a year but didn't brush my teeth? It'd be really bad, right? And, I would, and I'd be stinky. People wouldn't want to be around me. Right? I was talking to somebody else this week, and they said, well, I guess you could be like, like um, kind of take, take the Christian route and only brush your teeth at Christmas and Easter. <laughs> Ouch. Hey, listen, in this country, the average time that people join together to gather on Sunday mornings is 1.6 times a month. That's American Christian church attendance, 1.6 times a month. And this would be absolutely inconceivable to a first century Christian. Those who walked with Christ, if you read in the book of Acts chapter 2, we'll put that up there, but it'll, it'll, it'll tell you how often they gathered together in the temple courts. He said they gathered every day. And at this church, we would say, man, we would love for you guys to be here on Sundays, and we'd love for you to be at a small group during the week once a week. You see, God created all of us in the book of Genesis with kind of the seven-day calendar built into us. He created the heavens and the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh, and in so doing, he created man with this kind of seven-day empty squares on a calendar, seven blocks that, that we tend to fill up with a lot of stuff that has very little to zero eternal value. And we'll cram those little squares full of that stuff. And then we'll say we don't have time to be with the body of Christ. We've just kind of scheduled our way out of being with one another as Americans. And I just want us to think about this morning that busyness has almost become like an American value. It's something we celebrate. Well, how's it going? Oh, man, just super busy, super busy. Conform to that? Or should we be transformed? Should we be different? Now just hear me, hear this in love from me. Because I know some of you guys are going, man, he, he stepped on my toes, now he's like up on my ankles. It's getting, it's getting bad. But just hear this in love from me. Make time for the body of Christ. Ask, go to the Father and ask him, am I disregarding the fourth commandment? 
to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? Am I doing that? If I showed up for my job like I show up at our church, would I still be employed? Ask yourself, if I showed up for my favorite sports team practice, would I, like I showed up at church, would I still have a place on the team? And listen, you don't got to answer me for that. Just go and just, would you ask the Father, how am I doing in this? And see what he says. Listen, guys, take vacations. Get away. Go have fun. There will be seasons that are busier than others. But never, listen, listen, never allow those seasons to become your new normal. As so many have habitually done. But make time to be with the Father and with his bride, the church. Biblical worship is consistent. Biblical worship is also committed. It's committed. Someone has said that the chicken and the pig are both involved in a bacon and egg breakfast, but only one is truly committed. Right? The chicken and the pig are both involved, but only one is truly committed to a bacon and egg breakfast. Right? Are you fully committed to the work of Christ on Sunday mornings, or are you just involved? That's the question I want you to ponder. Colossians 3, 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And guys, there are many ways that you can commit to your church here when we gather. If you look on the back of your connection card, there's places for you to sign up to get involved with things. If you look on the inside left cover of even your bulletin today, there's areas sharing where there's spots where, where your church is saying, we need more workers in this area. Would you consider becoming more committed if you're not serving somewhere? That's a question I'd love for you to ask. And outside of Sunday morning, some things that you might ask are, am I committed to serving others in my community? Am I committed to having gospel conversations with my neighbors and with the people I work with? Am I ready to do that? Am I ready to share Christ? Inviting others. Are you committed to inviting others into this body of Christ? These are all good things to ask even outside of when we gather. God is calling all of us to be committed with our time and our talent and our treasure. I hope that you can go to the Father and ask him, is, is this something, am I just a, a big pig or am I a big chicken? And see, see what he says. Okay? Lastly, biblical worship is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Of all the traits of worship, I really think that sacrifice is the most foundational. Biblical worship is always sacrificial. Always. Jesus showed us the way that we should serve. You can look at Matthew 20, 28 for that. He taught us how to put others before ourselves. You can look at Philippians 2, 3. Jesus calls us to serve and sacrifice as he does. And that always involves a cross. If you look at Luke chapter 9, Jesus says if we're going to come after him, that we must take up our cross. And that means there's going to be a sacrifice involved. Okay? And guys, our, our culture is just obsessed with comfort. That video that we just watched of John Christ, you know, well, we've got five different service times for you. Yeah, but... What, what we need is this. 
what is it that you're willing to sacrifice in and what are you not willing to sacrifice in? When's the last time that you really sacrificed? So many times when a church asks us to step out and sacrifice in the American culture, what we do is, well, we don't like that, so we're going to take off and go over here to this church instead because it's easier. And I'm just going to, guys, with love as gently as I can, I can tell you this, this church and this leadership cannot teach you that being a part of the body does not involve sacrifice and honor God at the same time. We cannot do that. To honor God and to honor his word and to teach you something that's really for you is to teach you that worship, when it's biblical, it always involves a sacrifice. So ask yourself, in the way that you're worshiping, all those ings we talked about, is there a sacrifice? What do you want your days on planet Earth to add up to at the end? When it's all coming to an end, and you look back at your days, do you want to say that you were comfortable? Do you want to say it was a really comfy ride, man? It was a great ride. I had a great seat. I even had a latte every Sunday morning. It was fabulous. Or do you want to be able to say, as the Apostle Paul did in 2 Timothy 2, or I'm sorry, sorry, 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. Guys, sacrifice is not popular in our country. It never has been. In Jesus' day, it wasn't popular either. But he still showed us that's the way forward. Are you willing to sacrifice for one another and for the Father? Are you willing to be different? Because I'm telling you, the numbers are showing the world is not impressed with the consumeristic church. Most churches that are getting very large and growing super big, they're doing so by other people leaving other churches and going to those churches. We're, we have been guilty as a country of training generations of Christians that worship is for me. And we have to, it has to change. It has to change. Why not let it change with us? Why not we be the ones to say that we'll change? If we're going to be consumers, guys, let's, let's be consumed instead of consuming. Let's be consumed with the love of God. Let's be consumed with the love for one another. It seems like I heard that somewhere, that, that they will know you by your love for one another. They'll know you're my disciples. Let's be consumed with that. Let's be consumed with the mission of Jesus. And remember that there are so many outside of these doors that do not know him and are dying and going to hell. Let's be consumed with that mission. I want to give us some time. We're going to just close our eyes. We're going to close with this. I just want you to take some time, spend time with the Father. We call it taken two. I just want you to ask the Father this morning, Father, how am I doing in these four foundational areas? As we gather, how is your worship? Is it vertical and is it horizontal too? 
Do you need to find a place of service as we gather? Are you, are you willing to serve your brother and sister in some way here? Do you need to start giving faithfully? If you look inside your bulletin every week, we've got our budget there. Do you need to start giving if that's not something you're doing? And then how much of your time and your treasure and your talent belong to God? It's a great question for you to ask him. Take some time and just consider that and then we'll move into a time of offering.